Welcome, my flourishing friends, to episode number 38. In today's episode, we are going to talk about chemicals, how they can affect our health, and what we should be most concerned about. I'm also going to give you a few actions to take at home and things to ask of our government in order to protect our health and that of the environment. It's important stuff. Let's dive in. I'm Christina Hunter, and you are listening to the Live Well Green podcast, all about sustainable well-being and green living. We explore how to do what is good for the planet and for ourselves in order to truly flourish. So the question for today is, what is wrong with these chemicals in the environment and how do they get into our bodies and affect our health? Well, let's start off by asking the question, what do we really mean when we say chemicals? In fact, everything can actually be described as a chemical in terms of its chemical formula, which is simply a way of listing the molecules that make up a substance, just like water when we call it H2O. So everything can be described as a chemical. But when we're talking about chemicals here, we're going to be referring to synthetic chemicals, those man-made and industrial produced chemicals. Those have primarily been around since about World War II, where there was a lot of development in this area. In fact, the era around World War II is often referred to as the chemical revolution because we were understanding synthetic chemicals and how to produce them for war and then using them after war. At the time, not only were these chemicals thought to be useful in wartime, but also to solve a variety of human problems. In fact, it was thought that through killing pests with these synthetic chemicals, it would really free up humanity from having shortages of food. So synthetic chemicals were thought to be a solution to a lot of humanity's problems. However, not long after World War II, in fact, by the early 1960s, our honeymoon with these chemicals was coming to an end. Rachel Carson's seminal book called Silent Spring, which came out in 1962, was the first to raise the alarm bells on the synthetic chemicals that were entering the environment. Rachel Carson was a marine biologist who had worked for the U.S. Department of Fish and Wildlife Services in the 40s, and she became concerned about the environmental impacts of the chemical industry following World War II, and especially the use of synthetic pesticides, things like DDT. And this actually led to the eventual banning of DDT on agricultural crops in the U.S. in 1972. However, it continues to be used today for mosquito control in malaria-affected regions of the world, such as South America, Africa, and Asia, as a cost-effective control strategy. 
But her book, Silent Spring, led to the first wave of the modern environmental movement and, in turn, the development of the United States Environmental Protection Agency and other similar government branches around the world. So what is the concern with these synthetic chemicals in terms of our health and how do they get into our bodies? Now, just because we're exposed to a potentially harmful chemical, does that mean that we will be harmed? Well, you've probably heard of the saying, the dose makes the poison. This has been attributed to Paracelsus, the Swiss physician and alchemist and philosopher of the German Renaissance era. But this principle of the dose making the poison remains the basis of modern toxicology, which is the study of the adverse effects of chemicals as well as physical or biological agents on living organisms. But the basic principles are that the toxicity of a chemical depends on, first of all, the extent to which it enters the body, and some chemicals will more readily be absorbed by our body than others. And then secondly, how the chemical behaves in our body. Is it broken down by our body to make it less toxic, or perhaps activated, making it more toxic? Or is it excreted readily? These principles in understanding chemical hazards are used for us to create public health policies and to establish the acceptable levels of these potentially harmful chemicals in all sorts of substances like our food and drinking water, air, and even in the work environment. So they're really important principles that we base our public regulations on. This also allows us to effectively manage the risks associated with these types of potentially harmful substances. There are a few keys to understanding how to effectively manage these risks. The first one is to understand that there are two components with any risk scenario. And the first one is the hazard itself, that potentially harmful chemical. And the other component of risk is the receptor. That organism or group of organisms, such as a human or a group of humans or a child or even other organisms like a fish or a bird. But those two components must come together and interact in an exposure for there to be risk. So that's important for us to recognize. We need a hazard and a receptor, and they have to come together through exposure. So what does exposure look like? How are we exposed to these chemical hazards in our day-to-day lives? Well, that can take on four different avenues. The first one being ingestion. So we can ingest it in our food or in our water, usually inadvertently. Or we could be inhaling this substance, breathing in those gases that are in the air or droplets or even particles that are suspended in the air. Then thirdly, we can absorb it through our skin or our mucous membranes. Now, interestingly, not all substances are absorbed at the same rate through our skin, and not all areas of your body absorb skin as well as others. It's quite surprising that the abdomen, the forehead, and the scalp, for example, are really very good at absorbing chemicals compared to, say, the forearm. 
Then we have one more exposure scenario, which is injection. And this generally applies to medications or to drug use. Now, just because we have been exposed to a harmful chemical, does that mean we will be harmed, that it will cause harm? Well, not necessarily. Don't forget, there are many harmful chemicals in nature, such as toxic plants and fungi and molds and so on. And our bodies have evolved methods to prevent us from being harmed from these naturally occurring substances. For example, the cells lining our stomachs and intestines rapidly regenerate, and that helps to reduce the harm in our gut. And our metabolic systems can break down many chemicals and excrete them. However, this doesn't always work, especially with synthetic chemicals, those man-made ones that may become more toxic when they enter our bodies, or those that are very stable and accumulate in our bodies that we're not able to excrete. This issue of accumulating harmful chemicals is really key. Due to the nature of some of the earliest synthetic chemicals, they just didn't break down very readily, either in the environment or in living organisms. And at first, the manufacturers of these early synthetic chemicals thought that this was a really great property. They thought it would be super to apply a pesticide or fungicide and have it last a long time and be effective for a long period of time. But now we know that this is not a desirable property of these synthetic chemicals because they don't break down, so they just accumulate. And they can accumulate in the environment or in the individual. When they accumulate in an individual's body, we call that bioaccumulation. That means that the chemical is able to get into our bodies, but we can't metabolize it and we can't excrete it. So it just builds up in our tissues. And so that's a real problem. We call these substances POPs or persistent organic pollutants. And there's a list of the 12 most concerning POPs due to their risk to human health and to the environment. And it has all kinds of chemicals you've probably heard of on that list. Things like DDT, that early insecticide, as well as dioxins and furans, which are industrial byproducts and also substances that can be produced when incinerating waste. In addition, we have PCBs on the list those substances formerly used in fluorescent light ballasts and electrical transformers. In addition to that, we have a whole bunch of insecticides on the list. In fact, 10 out of the 12 on the Dirty Dozen list are used to kill insects and fungi. And one of the best things that you can do to prevent your exposure to harmful chemicals is to avoid the use of pesticides and any non-essential synthetic chemical in your home, your garage, lawn, and garden. It's a really important step to take to reduce your exposure to these harmful chemicals. So these POPs, these persistent organic pollutants, they can also accumulate up the food web, and that's called biomagnification. 
So that is when, as you go up the food web, the higher organisms tend to have higher levels of these POPs. Because you can think about it when the small fish that ate the algae, which contains some POPs, accumulated in the small fish's body. And the small fish was then eaten by a medium-sized fish. And that medium fish took in all the POPs from all of the small fish. So it has higher levels than the small fish do. And then this medium-sized fish is eaten by a big fish which has even higher levels of pops. And that big fish was eaten by maybe a bird or perhaps a human. If we eat meat, we are eating very high on the food web. And this is especially of concern because we can be accumulating high levels of these persistent organic pollutants in our bodies as a result of eating a lot of meat. This is especially of concern to the Inuit people of Canada and Greenland and the indigenous people of Alaska and Siberia who eat traditional diets that are very, very nutritious and culturally important, but they can also contain high levels of contaminants due to being high on the food web. So where do we go from here? Well, there is something called the precautionary principle. The roots of this principle go way back into ideas around medicine, engineering, as well as forestry. But it was written in the Rio Conference or Earth Summit of 1992, a precursor to the Kyoto Protocol, in Principle 15 of the Rio Declaration, which states that, and I quote, when there are threats of serious or irreversible damage the lack of full scientific certainty shall not be used as a reason for postponing cost-effective measures to prevent environmental degradation, end of quote. This is really getting at the issue of paralysis by analysis, which is probably something you've seen and heard of, where we have governments taking little action when they require more and more study, even though there is pretty significant concern over environmental or human health harm due to their inaction. This principle was further clarified and revised in 1998 by the Science and Environmental Health Network in the Wingspread Statement on the Precautionary Principle, which says, and I quote, when an activity raises threats of harm to human health or the environment, precautionary measures should be taken even if some cause and effect relationships are not fully established scientifically. In this context, the proponent of an activity, rather than the public, should bear the burden of proof. End of quote. This precautionary principle is actually enshrined in legislation in the European Union and in some other countries around the world that have laws referring to the precautionary principle. So that is wonderful. Many governments are embracing this idea in different ways. Now, what can we do personally to embrace the precautionary principle? Well, I have three major things for you to consider doing in your own life. First of all, Just avoid synthetic chemicals in your home, your garage, on your lawn, and in your garden. That means all synthetic pesticides and fertilizers. In fact, many jurisdictions have already banned the cosmetic use of pesticides. And by cosmetic, we mean those that are not absolutely necessary. They're just used for appearances. 
and they do carry a risk of harm. So that's a great idea. And then we can also consider getting into organic gardening. And I had a great talk with Dave Hansen about organic gardening in episode 34. So you might want to check that out. The second thing I encourage you to think about doing is simply asking yourself if you actually need to use a substance that is potentially harmful. Now, how do you know when something could be potentially harmful? Well, I encourage you to just look at the warning on the product's label. Look for things that say you must wear personal protective equipment or it's toxic or hazardous or other similar symbols. That's a really good indication that you should think twice about even purchasing it and making use of it. So look for these substances when you're doing home repairs, for example, and renovations. They can be found in glues and paints. Or when you're doing automotive repair in solvents and industrial chemicals and strong cleaners like oven cleaners and so on. And I even have an episode all about green home cleaning if you want to check that out. And that's episode 32. You can ask yourself, is there an alternative to this product or do I really need it at all? And if you do need to use it, absolutely make sure to follow the directions on the label. Use that personal protective equipment that is recommended and use it in a well-ventilated area if that is what's recommended. Please follow those precautions stated on the label. Then the third thing I encourage you to do is to talk to your legislators about using the precautionary principle in legislation in your country or state. We should be applying this principle to the screening of new and old chemicals that could cause harm to us and the environment. And that burden of proving that a chemical is safe should be on the manufacturer, not on the public or concerned citizens. And that is a really important part of the precautionary principle. Well, I have a few key messages I would like for you to have taken away from our chat today about chemicals and our bodies. The first being that Chemicals have the potential to cause harm based on how they enter the body and how they behave in the body. And the second is that those synthetic chemicals can persist in the environment and continue to cause harm and accumulate in our bodies and up the food web. And 10 out of the 12 chemicals on the dirty dozen list are actually pesticides and fungicides. So please avoid those wherever possible. Then I encourage you to use the precautionary principle and ask for it to be implemented in the legislation in your jurisdiction. Finally, I would love for you to personally avoid those potentially hazardous chemicals in your home and your garden. You'll be healthier and the environment will be better off as well. Before I leave you, I've got one last quote on the topic from Gina McCarthy, an American environmental health and air quality expert, who said, at its core, the issue of a clean environment is a matter of public health. End of quote. Well, that's all for now. If you are interested in exploring these issues further, please head on over to my website. It is christinahunterflourishing.com. That's Christina with a K. 
And there you will find all kinds of free downloadable resources, including the Sustainable Wellbeing Starter Kit, the Green Home Guide, and don't forget the free resource on organic gardening that can be found at christinahunterflourishing.com forward slash organic gardening. And while you're there, please sign up for my newsletter. It comes out once a week and is full of resources, inspiration, and news from the flourishing community. If you are looking for a great way to send a gift to a friend with cancer, please check out the unexpectedgiftbox.com. And finally, if you like what you are hearing, please leave me a review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps others to find this podcast and get the word out. Thank you so much. I can't wait to talk to you again. Until then, live well green, my flourishing friends. Bye for now.